What is up, futurists? Michael here, and you're listening to Our Future, the business podcast for young people. Before we get rolling, I'm so hyped to say that we announced the Our Future newsletter, where every Sunday you will get exclusive industry insights and career advice from the incredibly successful visionary business leaders that we feature on this podcast every week. The link to subscribe is in the description of our podcast, wherever you're listening. So make sure to toss us your email and be part of this new vision for our brand. My next guest is Chris Karen, CEO of Turnitin, an education technology company that streamlines grading, feedback, and academic integrity for over 15,000 schools and 35 million students globally. In 2019, the company was sold to Advance for $1.75 billion. And in this episode, Chris discusses how the Turnitin system identifies plagiarism, the role of tech in a new normal for remote education, and his advice to young people who are dealing with online school and who want to innovate during their career. Hope you guys enjoy. You are CEO of Turnitin. You're involved with many nonprofit boards in the education technology space. The main question I want to lead off with here, Chris, is do you think education technology and online learning can come to the rescue? Companies like Turnitin and, and others can come to the rescue to salvage and maybe even bolster learning experiences in this very uncertain time we're living through? Uh, I think we can certainly help, like help make, um, you know, accessing assignments, uh, getting feedback from your instructor, understanding what you can get better at, make that all digital, whether the assignment is digital from the get-go or starts out uh, on paper. Um, But I think to truly help get get as good as the in-classroom experiences, technology can can probably be halfway there. I I just am not optimistic that unless you have a a truly unique situation, you're going to be able to replicate the quality and engagement of learning that happens in a lecture hall or in a classroom through fully digital. So it's my strong hope we can play our role in helping get to a a stopgap student experience while COVID is causing campuses to be shut down. But I think my my real hope is we can get back to some form of um, in-classroom, on-campus experience, because I think technology just cannot replace that, that, that human aspect of learning in a group with your colleagues, with faculty. Let's think of the suite of tools that teachers already have. What have you noticed over the years as you've seen technology really blossom and kind of make its, it, it, its way into schools in a much more mainstream way? What's yeah. worked really damn well? I think learning management systems, whether it's from a a vendor focused on that space, like a uh, Instructure Canvas, or more notably, as of late, you know, Google with Google Classroom, Microsoft with Teams. Those have been really great integrated environments for students to access assignments, get feedback, understand their calendar. I, I think that category probably has been the most value added of, of any I can think of. Uh, whether you're a learner in primary school, middle school, high school, or in or in college. So tell me a little bit about Turnitin. How does it enable the student and the teacher to share information and the teacher to be able to check work and things like that? How does, how does this ecosystem work? It's historically, the way our service works is when you're done writing an essay for, for an assignment, you'll upload it to our website, and that's how you get it to your teacher. And the teacher can either let you, a student, um, pre-submit your work to make sure you've referenced everything correctly. There's not unintentional plagiarism. Um, so you can turn in something you can feel great about from an integrity point of view. And then on the teacher side, we have tools to let um, uh, student-to-student peer review happen if teachers want to have students critique each other's work electronically. And then an environment for a teacher to um, open up a rubric, 
grade the student work, give them feedback on how to make it better, and have that assignment, that essay returned to the student digitally very quickly for learning. Where we're going um, in the near future is to have add-ins to Google Docs and to Microsoft Office Online. So as you're writing so, as a student, we can give you feedback on the quality of the uh, sources you're using, um, help you uh, um, create references and citations accurately, give you feedback on grammar, give you feedback on um, uh, any sort of accidental plagiarism, be more of a formative add-in to the authoring and research experience for the, for the student. How do you reference, how do you take like this piece of writing and then reference it against all the other information on the web? Like, that sounds like a seriously complex task. So I joined in 2009, the company was already 10 years old. And, and back then, um, a lot of student plagiarism was copying content off the web. So you have to crawl the web like Google, index it, and then to your point, when a student essay is submitted, it's kind of a brute force, like take every sentence a student wrote and match it against trillions of sentences you have in your, in your um, database that are from books, from, um, from internet sites, et cetera. What's happened over time, though, is there's been this, this spawning of cheat sites that buy and sell student papers, recycle student work. So yeah. now when a student chooses to, to deliberately plagiarize, they tend to steal another student's work. Not a friend of theirs, but someone they just find online through a, a paper mill. And um, the way we've gotten to be so successful as a company compared to competing offerings is uh, we have a, a database of over um, a, a billion student papers. So the student finds someone else's work online or buys it online, puts their name on it and turns it in. We've likely seen that paper before, so we can, we can flag it as misconduct. How have you seen that paper before? Because these sites don't let you in unless you give them a few bucks. No, no, no. We'd seen it before because that the original, before that student sold it to a website, they turned it in for their classwork. And because we were there in the high school or college when that work was turned in, we, we have it from when it was originally submitted for, for a, a grade. So Google's been indexing the web since the early 2000s. Why have they not come up with a plagiarism checking tool for their, for their own suite of tools to help students and teachers alike? You know, they actually just did. Uh, and so did Microsoft. Um, launch a, a basic plagiarism detection service. Um, in, in the case of Google and Microsoft, it's more to help a student pre-check their work to make sure there's nothing accidental before they turn it in. It's, it's less focused on enabling the teacher or professor to check student work. Um, but you're right, for, for, for 20 years, Google's in the search business, didn't move into the space. They did recently. Um, it's pretty lightweight, but um, it, it's free if you use it in a limited way. Um, and it's mainly focused, again, on, on helping the student, much like Grammarly is as well. Yeah, I like that push on helping the student because, you know, uh, a service that would, would just allow teachers to weed out students' work wouldn't be something that students would want to be involved with. I, I totally agree. I mean, we, we, when we first allowed teachers to let students pre-submit work, teachers weren't sure if they wanted to do that. Um, but, but because they, the fear was students could plagiarize and just clean up their work and, and, and game the system to get a, to get a passing score. But we've really found that... Um, most students, when they de-plagiarize, it's unintentional. They just have done so much yeah. research and copying and pasting that they really need to have a, a sanity check. Um, and so most teachers allow students now to pre-submit to our service, see if they have made a mistake uh, or if they've overly uh, paraphrased and correct their work before they turn it in for final evaluation. So that has a big, that's been a big change in teacher mindset over the past five, six years. So is it a few phrases or is it, are you only referencing like a full sentence? Because some, I'm sure a few phrases here and there, you know, paraphrase, I don't know, whatever. How, yeah. how does this, how, how extensive is this? This. Uh, yeah, we, we, look, we look phrase by phrase, not just sentence by sentence. Um, 
we have a sensitivity dial. So a teacher can say, I want to find any sort of three word match. I want you to flag it versus a more um, typical setting, which is it needs to really show up. Like th there's parts of sentences from this other, other uh, paper that are showing up throughout the student work. So it's, it's, um, it's more than coincidence, but there's a, there's an ability to sort, sort of set sensitivity teacher can use. Um, Cause you're right. There is, there are only so many ways to write a sentence about, um, Thomas Jefferson's birthplace. So um, we we let the teacher decide um, how sensitive to make the make the system. What do you see for education technology in the venture capital space during COVID? Obviously, some these some of these the, these tools are being iterated upon more as as COVID is here. They're adding new features. ED Tech is pretty hot. What what, yeah. do you, what would you comment on the investment climate for? the future of education technology. Yeah, you know, ed, ed tech, when I first joined the space eight years ago, and I went to the, back then, the only real conference for ed tech companies, it was like less than 100 people. Um, and, and now it's like 2,500. So like a 20x growth in entrepreneurs in the space and, and investors, venture investors, private equity investors. Um, so it's really become a very mainstream place for investors who want to put capital. Um, right now, I'm seeing huge, uh, increasing demand for any kind of technology that helps distance learning happen, whether it's capturing um, lectures like a Zoom kind of app, uh, enabling uh, uh, chat or community type of um, discussion boards, um, services like ours that help ensure integrity of student work that's, that's done at home, whether it's a test or an essay or computer code. Um, anything that enables the workflow of a learner and a teacher we're not in the same classroom are getting huge demand. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's time where education technology is going to play a bigger role um, in, in, in terms of uptake and global uptake than it has in years past given COVID. Yeah. You got a lot of books there. Obviously you're a learner. You went to Stanford. Why'd you want to get into education technology? And yeah, so I was, I'm career, yeah, career in software. And I, uh, prior to turning, coming to turn it in, I was at Microsoft, um, a great company. This is before Satya Nadella came in and sort of, um, put, put it on such a great path. Um, yeah. Uh, Steve Ballmer, and, were you there at Steve Ballmer? Steve Ballmer was there. Yeah. So the company was, uh, was a little bit stuck in the past, uh, with its thinking and strategy and Satya's done a phenomenal job. But, um, at the time I was, uh, I just become a father. Uh, I was 40. Uh, I was thinking, how can I stay in technology, but, but work on more meaningful problems than I was at the time. Uh, at the time I was working on business applications that helped, you know, CFOs close the books quickly and more accurately, sure. cool yeah. problems to solve, not super meaningful to me. So I was thinking, let me get into software and education or software in, uh, life sciences or software in um, um, clean energy. Something that really, I think meaningfully would, would let me have more career legacy. And I came across Turnitin, became a really good fit between what I was good at and what the company needed. And, and that's sort of why I made the pivot from general software at Microsoft to, to education software. What advice would you give to people in a remote learning format? And further, what, what career advice would you give college kids? I know from my, my own daughter's experience, um, it's hard. It's hard to stay engaged. Uh, it's hard to, um, to have the grit to, to, that you need to have to get through coursework and learning when you're not in a classroom with a teacher face to face. So it's just... Lean in. No, it, it is temporary, but you don't want to lose a year or a semester of learning if you, if you can. So just um, really lean in hard uh, and put in the extra effort because uh, the worst thing in the world is to fall behind and, and not be able to, to catch back up. Um, 
for entrepreneurs, I would say, you know, we're still in the early days of technology's impact on improving education, educational outcomes. So there's a lot of money that's been put into the space. A lot of companies have been started, but we're still in like the second or third inning to what technology can do to improve education globally, both in terms of um, making learning more engaging, um, as well as making it more affordable so that um, as, as more and more students around the world can, can actually go to school uh, versus work in the fields that um, it's accessible and it's, it's um, financially and, and digitally. And on a final note, do you think that learning, true learning is possible in a fully remote format? Obviously the price of college has skyrocketed over the past 30 years. Student debt crisis is very real. And these like online courses, these MOOCs have offered a promise of lower costs, much more accessibility, higher enrollment at these Ivy League and Michigan yeah. and Stanford's. So is that a, is that a, is that a human future? Uh, I'm skeptical. Uh, I mean, for some students, that's the only choice they have is, is to go to school online because there's no university that's affordable um, close to where they live and work. Um, but I think the model, the ideal model is one where there is a lot of learning that happens at home more than more than today. But you still go to a lecture hall or go to a campus part time to get that that person to person interaction, that, that study group cohort dynamic. Um, and I think if you can have more learning happen at home and therefore, you know, facilities can handle more students, you can take the cost of education and bring it down to maybe a quarter or a fifth of what it is today. Because I agree the cost of higher ed is not sustainable. The student debt crisis is not sustainable. But I do think fully online just is, is not going to be the experience that it needs to be to be a replacement for uh, traditional. But I think traditional needs to be more blended to be able to bring costs down and, and make it more accessible for more people and also just not have the, the crazy amount of student debt that graduates face today. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Karen, CEO of the multi-billion dollar ed tech company, Turn It In. I think the future of education is exciting and technology can be a driving force of change and can actually improve education in many ways. However, there continues to be challenges. Students aren't the biggest fans of online learning and we're yet to see what it's gonna be like as colleges go back into session this fall. It's pretty crazy stuff. It's all gonna unfold in front of us. Make sure to subscribe to our brand new newsletter and the podcast as well. We're really building something here and we want the futurists to build it with us. Stay frosty guys.